welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Chuck Jaffe. Chuck is the author of three books. One, Getting Started in Finding a Financial Advisor. The second one is in kind of a similar vein. It's titled The Right Way to Hire Financial Help. His latest book, or maybe it even went before, Chuck, you can help with that one, is Chuck Jaffe's Lifetime Guide to Mutual Funds. His two books on working with financial advisors have made him a rare critical voice in financial planning. Chuck is host of Money Life. He is a veteran financial journalist, nationally syndicated financial columnist, and his work appears in newspapers from coast to coast. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Chuck. Thanks for having me, Tony. Glad to be here. So glad you could make it. Well, as the summer dwells on, we're kind of wrapping things up out here in Arizona. All of our listeners like to hear our guests' kind of background story, culminating with uh, where you live and work from today. But most interesting, what's the path that led you to doing what you do today? Well, we'll start with the easy stuff. I am... In, in the Boston area. And I came to the Boston area because as a journalist in 1994, I joined the Boston Globe as personal finance and mutual funds columnist. I left the Globe after about 10 years and joined marketwatch.com. Now, my columns have been in syndication basically from the moment I joined the Globe. And oh, by the way, although they do not appear there today, but for many, many years, if my name rings a bell, I was in a number of papers in Arizona. I was mostly in Phoenix and Tucson. Okay. Um, I, I know that that those places um, both had me for years. And I'm just, am unfortunately, with it, the Arizona Daily Star was one. And and I'm with it on the others because there were so many back in the day. Today's syndication, yeah. a much smaller deal because everybody wants everything to be local. So when we talk right. later, you can find my work online and that's the easiest way to get it. But I come to everything that I do as a journalist. So I'm not a money manager. I'm not somebody you can't hire me to say, oh, you know, help me put a portfolio together. And I don't consider myself the expert on too many things. I am an expert when it comes to hiring financial advisors, because to the best of my knowledge, there are four books written on the subject. I wrote two of them. I see. I'd like to point out that the people who wrote the other two in each case thought they were writing the first book ever written on it. And they were writing books three and four. Now, by the way, the order of my book's not particularly important, but it was the right way to hire financial help. Then Chuck Jaffe's Lifetime Guide to Mutual Funds, and then getting started in hiring financial advisors, which that was mostly about being um, the, the reason for a second book was a different book publisher came when wanted to do it. What I will tell you on all of those cases, if you want to be frugal, you can almost certainly find them for no more than a dollar online someplace and go buy them cheaply. The mutual fund book still is worth it, although most of the things that it talked about through modernization and a variety of other things, yeah, some of it is not necessarily as worthy now. Like we, It's become so much easier to be a good investor. I'm a journalist and I'm now a talk show host as well, but it's all about talking, learning, and finding out about money. The key things to me is, and this is really important, especially for the audience you've explained to me that you have on your show, that there is no one right way. Right. You can do this as long as you reach your goals, doesn't make a difference to me. Like, and and it shouldn't make a difference to you. Do right. what you have the most conviction in. You know, I, there's a a famous story, which I believe is true, though 
I do not know anyone who was there, and there doesn't seem to be any proof that Groucho Marx went to tour the New York Stock Exchange. And Groucho Marx was actually somewhat famous as an investor. So he's on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. And when the closing bell rings, you know, guys gather around him and he's kind of holding court there. And at some point, somebody yells out, Groucho, what do you invest in? And Groucho says, I keep my money in in treasury bonds and mostly in bonds. And a guy yells back, well, they don't make much money. And Groucho's response was, they do if you have enough of them. And so when we talk about, about, you know, hey, this is how you should do it. Your circumstances, your risk tolerance, all that sort of stuff. I'm agnostic to approach. Yeah. Unless the approach is going to hurt people. And that happens. I wrote Stupid Investment of the Week for 10 years. Oh, really? And that was something I did when I was at MarketWatch. And so I, I come to this with a very jaundiced eye. I'm not, as I tell the people in the financial services world, I'm not your friend or your enemy. I am an advocate for the consumer. I am the consumer's proxy in all things financial. Oh, what a great seat to sit in. Uh, and that's the true journalist seat, isn't it? I mean, you, you don't become an advocate of anything if if you're a true journalist. You just report truth, right? Yeah, and, and I get to talk to really smart people and swim around in their brain fluid every day on my show. And mm-hmm. I'd rather do that than spend the time going, hey, let me tell you what I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. At Personal Financial Strategy, we're kind of in the trenches. We're kind of with people. And uh, we're focused on the blocking and tackling of personal finance. And we strive toward helping individuals to create a, a financial engine whose output is more money per month to contribute toward investment or their financial future. If we have another dimension around here, it's helping people start life with good personal financial habits. And we do a little premarital counseling. I speak to college grads occasionally, and it's something we really, really enjoy. And in a conversation a couple of weeks ago that you and I had, you told me about an interesting approach you have to financial education for the younger folks. And as we are kind of bearing down on the fall time of the year, I thought it'd be a great time for you to tell your story on what happens around the Jaffe house at Halloween. So Halloween is how I teach other people's kids that I'm only going to get a minute or two with about money. Right. But I can also talk about what I think we need to do to teach families and kids and some of the things that I've done, ranging from allowances up to investing in stocks, which my kids and I've been doing together since they were babies. My kids are now basically around their 30s. But Halloween, in my house, it is what we call cash or candy, trade or treat. And I started, I didn't do this when my kids were young, but I'm a financial journalist. And so I'm always looking for how do I find ways to write about money, come up with different things. And so it started with a very simple proposition, like, let's have some fun because I love Halloween and I live in a great neighborhood for it. I live in a neighborhood where every, if you come off the main drag into our neighborhood, every street ends in a cul-de-sac. Oh, really? So there's no through traffic. Everybody who has friends in this neighborhood, this is where they trick or treat. Sure. Because you know, you can send your kids when they're a little older and not worry about traffic, et cetera. So we get a good 100, 130 kids. Wow. Like, I love that. It's awesome. But especially as I got older, I didn't want to be that guy in the neighborhood where the neighborhood turned over. 
you got all these kids. I'm the creepy old guy that like, you know, <laughs> doesn't get out there. I, you know, you might see me playing with my dog, but you're not whatever. So I want to do something where let's make an impact. Let's make it clear that as right. somebody who's worked from home for 20 years, I'm a house that you can trust. If like there's something happening, I'll be the neighborhood watch guy. Fine. We started doing something at this house where fundamentally, if you come to my house, the rule has always been you get three pieces of candy, three fun size pieces of candy, which pre pandemic and post pandemic inflation was valued at about 37 and a half cents. Okay. So the first time I gave people a choice, it was a simple, you can have cash or you can have candy. Now I'll point out, I've talked about this many, many times on many shows, my own show. We talk about it every year. I know people who have done something where it's simple. Yeah. You can come in and my, my favorite story is a guy named Rich in Orchard Beach, Maryland, who, what he does each year for Halloween now, where they don't get many people is he says, I'm going to go buy my wife's favorite candy and I'm going to buy full-size candy bars, Ooh. which puts him out for about a dozen candy bars. That's it. Oh, because really? he knows that gives a couple for her, one or two for him, and the rest for the like six kids that come by. I see. But he then offers those kids an envelope that's either going to have, they get to pick from a thing of envelopes that will either have a 50 cent piece or a silver dollar in it, whatever. Uh-huh. And that's it. And so the kids come. And if he winds up with extra candy, he's never spent too much on candy. It's his wife's favorite candy. He wins. The kids win, et cetera. So I started with a simple cash or candy choice. Okay. And because I'm the only one giving out cash, well, everybody took the cash. Really? And I quickly realized, yeah, I quickly realized, okay, we can have some fun here. We can do some other things. So we then went from cash or candy to what I called trade or treat. And that was basically, okay, come to my house and you can get your three pieces of candy. Or you can take an envelope that will have between a quarter and if you get really lucky, I can't remember, I think it was $2 or $2.50 in it. Uh-huh. Or you can trade me candy. Like I can reach into your bag and pull out three pieces of candy, in which case you'll be picking from envelopes that have a minimum of 50 cents in them to a maximum of like $5. So that was where we started. Whoa. Not the, the monetary choice here. Right? Decision, yes. Well, your return on investment for coming to my house is 37 and a half cents. Yeah. So if you if you say, oh, I'm not going to trade you any candy, your return is statistically, and, I, and I'll kind of tell them, hey, half the envelopes have a quarter. Everything else is graduated up to a jackpot, right? So you can maybe win a bunch, but you're statistically most likely to be down at the bottom. You got 37 and a half cents for coming to my house. You want to trade that for something that's only going to get you a quarter? Or do you want to be in something where you say, wait, hold it. I will trade you a few more pieces of candy and I will then play for bigger money. Like, where does it go out? And eventually we had things like you could trade it for bigger money, but if you were playing for bigger money, you could also come away with nothing, Ah. right? (laughs) And eventually we put in a lottery option where the first year I did a lottery option, instead of trading me three pieces of candy, you were trading me six pieces of candy. And you were going to pick from envelopes where if you won, you'd get a $20 bill. If you finished second, you got a $10 bill. But every other one was empty. (laughs) And that, by the way, is heartbreaking. The kids, I, I never want them to open their envelopes by me. Go home, do it with your parents, right? There's always sure. the envelopes that they get have a piece of paper in them that tell them what they were doing and give them kind of help them understand you made a choice. Here's the choice you made. Here's, you know, 
Here's the choice. Ah, like, that's, that's key they right there. And they, they can, I want them to talk to their parents about what would right. you have done? Like, what would be the right choice? And by the way, I have had um, in each of the last, since we went to the lottery side, which I want to say was four years ago, I don't have the statistics in front of me. We've given out the biggest jackpot three times. Have you really? And so there's kids and that, by the way, not that I'm concerned about my legacy with these kids. Those kids will tell that story for the rest of their lives. Sure they, will they will tell their children that they went out trick-or-treating one time and they traded candy for a $20 bill. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it changes. The rules change every single year. And what I wish I could do is get my neighbors, like make it that, okay, I do it this way. Now give that to the neighbor on my left. I wish my entire cul-de-sac, everybody was doing this because that would also make it that, you had less, you know, I'm going to take the cash because it's all the cash. And I'll point out that when we got to the pandemic, obviously I couldn't take candy from the kids to do a trade. So it became a, you could take three pieces of candy or you could take a $1 gift certificate to the local ice cream store, which I was trying to support. Oh, right. Oh, and, and think about that. You know, yeah. you're trading 37 and a half cents for a buck, but Oh, by the way, your mom is, you know, if you're not old enough to ride your bike, mom's going to have to take you there. Etc. And so, right. and actually the ice cream shop said, do it with this one particular treat that we sell. They're actually a buck and a quarter, but we'll sell them, you know, we'll give you them at the gift card price that we're doing. So great value and how we did it. By the yeah. way, this applies only to kids who are in third grade and up. Okay. If you're below third grade, you get three pieces of candy for coming to my house. <laughs> Thank you we're very not, much. We're not trying to teach you money <laughs> lessons, but, but it's been great. And the best part has been the conversations I've had with kids in the neighborhood. No kidding. The, the two that I want to talk about quickly, one, the first year we did a trade, my last group of kids was this group of girls. Seven girls come up. Seven. And they have pillowcases filled with candy. And they said, oh, I want the money. I want the money. The first six girls are like, yep, I want the money. The seventh girl says, I want candy. Right? And the rules were you couldn't go in and pick the candy to trade me. I would reach in. As long as it was fun-sized or smaller, I would take three pieces of candy. I'm not taking, if somebody's giving you full-size candy bars, I'm not taking. I would take their candy, put it in my candy dish. So the seventh girl says, I'm not taking, I'm, I'm not taking the money. I want candy. I say, great. I pull up my, my bowl and she takes three Snickers bars. And I go, I got to know, you just watch six of your friends use their candy to get them money. And you wanted the candy. She goes, well, Snickers bars are my favorite. We just got a couple. So I think they're on the top of everybody's bag because you pulled them out. You got like at least one Snickers bar from every one of my friends here. And she goes, my rule with my parents is they can take my candy, but they're not allowed to take my Snickers bars. <laughs> so I came out on Halloween to get candy. I came out specifically to get Snickers bars. You're going to give me three Snickers bars. That's what I'm going to take. So she got exactly what she wanted for her money in this, her uh -huh. 37 and a half cents. She got specifically what she wanted. And the right. lesson there, and even her friends were going, wait, if I'd thought about it that way, I might've done something different. Uh -huh, Great. Uh -huh. Well, that's what you should think about. You should not just learn about saving money, but spending. You want to spend it on what you really right. want and not on what that, you don't want. That's an excellent <laughs> lesson. So then that group of girls for the rest of their trick-or-treating lifetime, which was probably two more years, uh -huh. made me their last stop. <laughs> and several of the girls, when they came for the last year said, no, 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 this is the house we want to end trick-or-treating at because yours is the most fun. 
Ah. And, and by the way, when people say, well, how much does it cost you? It doesn't really cost me a lot of extra money. And they can find my columns. I'll explain where at the end, if they want to go look and sort of get specific rules and see what I've done over the years, because it just does change. But we try to make it that they're having discussions and they wanted to have those discussions. And I think that's amazing that you get the yes. chance to have random discussions about money and choices. You get to do it with a stranger. You get to go home and talk about it with your parents. You get to think, I mean, one of the most interesting discussions I had, the first kid who ever won the 20 bucks did the worst thing possible for me. He opened the envelope at the end of my driveway and started screaming and yelling about it. He had won the 20. <laughs> the A, he couldn't have given me his six pieces of candy faster. That was the first year we were trading six. Yeah. And they gave me six pieces of candy faster. I'm like, oh my God, we just created a gambler. Like we just, <laughs> he thinks you, you give up whatever and you win the jackpot. <laughs> But also, I then knew that the big jackpot was gone, yet I had to pitch it to all the kids of what was happening, which I don't uh, want to do. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, I don't want to be dishonest. There's really a $20 sure, bill sure. in there for somebody to win. You're just not going to win it, which I now know. But the next year, he came back and he didn't play the lottery. Really? And I said to him, I said, okay. And his father happens to be a financial advisor. And I said, okay, Luke, I got to know. You won. You are ahead of the game. Right. Why did you take the smaller money option? He goes, you can't figure you're going to win the lottery two years in a row. I got my win. I'm out. Let me take, et cetera. Now, it is interesting. He's coming to the end. I think this will be his last year. And last year, he went back to the lottery issue and, and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to play for the big jackpot because, uh, you know, maybe lightning will strike me twice, but I didn't think I'd get it. So, okay. I'll, I'll settle for that kind of thinking. At least he didn't turn immediately into a big gambler. Yeah. We'll see what he does this year. I know he's up 20 bucks on me and, uh, <laughs> and I know he's happy. And I know that he tells all his friends. Yeah. You want to come trick or treat in my neighborhood? Cause along with everything else, you're going to get some money out of it. So yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. If it. Even if it costs me more money, I'll take it. Cause it's so much fun. So that's, that's Halloween. Yeah. But lessons in your own house. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that you can do. It was funny. I was having a discussion earlier on the day that we we're recording this with a friend of mine who said allowances didn't work. And I said, well, allowances worked for me, but that's because I knew what I was doing. And he said, well, you know, it was always the paying for chores thing. Let's not make an allowance about paying for chores. Okay. Because if you do that, then it's going to be like, Hey, you know, yeah, I'll take in the groceries, dad. You know, you float me two bucks. Yeah. That's not what it's for. Okay. In my mm -hmm. house, you do chores because you're a citizen of this house. That's, That's expected right. of you. You don't get paid for that. I cut my own grass or I pay someone to do it. Now, if I don't have to do it because you want to cut my grass and I would otherwise pay for someone or you're giving me value for my time, that's a chore that you will get paid for. That's a job. That's right. not a chore as a citizen of the household. You know, Cleaning your plate, doing your dishes, vacuuming occasionally, doing your laundry, putting it away, whatever it is, I'm not paying you for that. And then what the allowance is for, it's an allowance. It's money that I'm giving you that I'm now not going to spend, that you are going to spend on yourself. And so people will say, when should you start giving an allowance? Well, I started giving my kids an allowance when they were three years old. Really? Yes. They were getting a quarter for each year they were alive, and they got a bank that had three places in it. One place, this is where you put the money you can spend right away. Second place, this is where you're going to save money that you don't spend right away. When you want something a little bigger, you want to make sure you're going to have enough here. Third place, 
We're going to believe in charity and long-term savings in this household. So this is where you're going to put your charity and long-term money. And for every bit of money that you put in there, I will then match that. So three quarters, one quarter into each, I matched the one quarter. My kid at three years old was getting a dollar. How does that then play out? You go to the grocery store. Your kid is with you. They're at at checkout going, I want this candy. Can you afford it? Have you got the money in your jar? Or they want the toy that you have the little coin-operated machines at the end. You've got quarters. If they don't want to spend their money, that's fine. But they sure as heck are not going to spend my money because I gave them an allowance for that. Fast forward to when my kids were in high school. The allowance at some point goes from being a quarter per year of age to 50 cents per year of age to being a buck per year of age. Okay. So I've got friends who say, oh, I never gave my kid an allowance. Okay. Well, when your kid was 15 and they wanted to go to the movies, who paid? Oh, I gave them a movie pass. I bought their movie tickets. Really? Then you were giving your kids an allowance. If your kids go into the movies with their friends and you're paying for that, you may not be giving them an allowance, right. but they're getting one. And worse yet, they're not getting any lessons with it, right? Yeah, right. My kids want to go to the movies all the time. Well, that was great. Go, have a great time, as long as you can afford it yourself. Here's the money that you've got. Here's what you're saving. Here's what you're doing longer term. Here's what you like. You want to, and, and kids start learning money lessons really early. So, I always tell the story, my kids, if they listen to this, sorry, we're going to tell the story of Timber, the talking tree one more time. When my kids were very young and we had just started the allowance, we went to a restaurant. I don't think the chain exists anymore where they had Timber, the talking tree. Timber, the talking tree was an animated tree with a guy who had a mic and he's off someplace where you can't see him. Uh And as you're waiting for your table, Timber is talking to you. He's, you know, what's your name? Okay. How about if we sing a song together? Or whatever it is. Uh Timber the talking tree. So we finish and the restaurant has a gift shop where they sell Timber the talking tree puppets. Uh. They don't have a voice. They're not attached to anything. They're hand puppets. And each of my kids wants a Timber the talking tree hand puppet. And it's just enough money that I know what they've got in their allowance accounts. Okay. I would tell you guys, why don't you each, why don't you come together and buy one Timber the talking tree? My daughter's about two years apart in age. Now, they can't agree on that. They each buy one. Uh, The result is that both of them, my youngest one, who was getting a little less allowance, absolutely zeroed her allowance account at that point. uh My oldest almost zeroed her allowance account. Two weeks later, they're not playing with Timber the Talking Tree anymore, but they want money for something else. uh And now they get to listen to dad go, you know, if you guys (laughs) had gotten just one Timber the Talking Tree, You'd have that money that you were looking for right now. Yeah. As much as my kids hate that story, oh, yes, they can tell you their first bad purchase was Timber, the talking tree. And they can tell you why it was a bad purchase. And it's why whatever the equivalent of that stupid puppet is, they pretty much have not bought in the last 30 years as a result. Uh. And that's what you want to do. And by the way, so so let's take it over to investing lessons as well, if we have the time, Tony. Sure, you bet. My kids had stock portfolios basically from the moment they had social security numbers. And back when my kids were born, it was really tough to do because you'd have to go to a full service broker, discount brokers weren't doing it. You'd have to get them to try to right. discount a commission. And you were paying a commission on a stock that you were buying a couple of shares of. You weren't buying a round lot. 
So you were right, paying in right. odd lot commission, et cetera. So I had a friend of mine who was a lacrosse teammate. who was a broker. He started my accounts for me, knowing full well what we were doing. He would discount my commissions as much as possible. Yes, the commissions made it that it was expensive to buy five shares of this or that. But my feeling was very simple. Until my kids would appreciate what was coming out of the box and who it was coming from, I was going to take the money that was going to be spent on gifts and instead put it towards stocks. And I was going to do that because my kids had grandparents, thankfully, who were very generous. They did not need another toy. They did not need another thing. What they needed was stocks. And I only bought companies that I felt my kids would be able to understand at an early age. So my oldest daughter, her first stock was Coca-Cola. She still owns it today. Yeah. And her cost basis on the shares is about 10 bucks a share now. Wow. So, you know, it split a couple of times. It did a bunch of things. And she's held it for her entire life. That's awesome. But you started with that. When my oldest was four or five, one of the stocks she had, thankfully, she didn't ride it all the way to the end, was Blockbuster Video. Oh, really? <laughs> my kids were told, you own this place. You are, you, you know, we go to McDonald's, not Burger King, because you own McDonald's, not Burger King. So my daughter walked, we went into a Blockbuster Video. She wanted a certain video. It was not there. She looked and said, even for me? Because I own this place. (laughs) Kids at an early age understand ownership. They understand, wait, that's my team or that's my company. I want to support it. I want to do the right things. So it started a lifetime of interest in stocks for them. And I will say that I kept it up where it started with, here's a big deposit on your birthday and another one at Christmas, which I only did for like the first three years. Then it just became one purchase a year. But my kids and I could talk about investing. The famous story about my my youngest daughter, at one point we went shopping with my mom and we went to a little toy store called Noodle Cadoodle. <laughs> We're coming out and my mother said something about, what did you think of the store? And I'd never been to the store. It was a really nice toy store. So what do you think of the stock? And Whitney, my youngest, heard that and she's like, we could buy that place because that's the best toy store I've ever been to. So <laughs> the stock was like trading for a buck and a quarter a share. Really? So the next time we wind up buying a birthday stock. We had a few bucks extra. We bought some noodle cadoodle. (laughs) We did it again the following year. Whitney again was like four, five, six, something like that. It went up to six bucks a share. No, We had a discussion of maybe you should take some money off the table. She says, but I still like noodle cadoodle. Okay. But you've turned a few dollars into a good amount of money. Why don't we go back and just do this? So she took a little bit of money off the table, like cut her $600 down to 300. Remember, she put in maybe 150. Uh-huh. And then the stock merged with a store called Zany Brainy. And then it went out of business and went all the way to zero. Oh, gee. So the lessons she'll tell you, I learned about taking profits. I learned about going all the way to zero. Yeah. How does that then play out? Fast forward, Whitney is 13. She says, dad, I know that Under Armour was started by lacrosse players. I know you played with some guys who work for them, which is true. Their CFO and I used to play together. Is that right? At one point, yes. He's not actually there anymore, but back then he was. And she said, all my friends, all they want for the holidays is Under Armour gear. Can we buy Under Armour stock? We're looking at other things for her annual purchase, but Under Armour at the time was trading at $13 a share. Mm -hmm. We bought 10 shares for 130 bucks. A year later, we bought 10 more shares for 130 bucks more. A year later, it was trading at $19. And we said, let's make that the full purchase. Let's make that the full thing that we bought. So we went and bought, I want to say 30 more shares or whatever. And then Under Armour went crazy, yeah. went crazy to the point that we had put in, you know, 
600 bucks and it was worth 10,000. Yeah. And at that point, what did she do? Well, I still love Under Armour. I don't want to sell. And what was this? Remember Noodle Cadoodle? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess we should take a little bit off. Let's take Uh some off. There you go. And the best part, by the way, she sold and then she got to balance off her gains with the Noodle Cadoodle shares that had been worth it. <laughs> so learn yeah. that, that whole time learning. Today, stock shares. You can go in stock slices, Fidelity, Schwab, the big brokerages sure. all have a way. You can pick a stock, pick a favorite name, do it. You can buy five bucks at a time, start the account and start rolling. And yeah. one other thing for kids, because this is one that I haven't done yet because I have no grandkids. I was talking to an economist I know who advises politicians. We were talking about social security and he says he has an unusual way. He thinks you should not necessarily end social security, but change social security without getting into it and without getting into the politics. His idea is that at some point, the generation that does not believe that they're going to get social security, you reward them by saying, hey, were you born? Here's a thousand dollars from the government put into an index fund. You can't touch it till you're 65. No exception, right? Yeah. Gonna not do social security. We're not gonna be pounding the money, whatever, because it's not gonna the trust us not gonna work. We're just gonna put you in an index fund for 65 years. He goes, with everything else you can do, that's gonna be something that would work. So I can tell you that when I someday have grandchildren, yes, I will start their stock account, but I will set a thousand dollars in another account that they will understand you're gonna get it when you're 21. If you have a real emergency, okay, I can't stop you from using it. It's your money. But if you want to take the lesson. I want you to get to 65 and go, what a gift this was. Ooh, That's what I'm intriguing, trying to do. So intriguing. There's your, your life lesson out of this. And then one more thing, Tony, the benefit to me as a result of this has been that, and my oldest daughter just changed jobs, is that both of my kids have changed jobs in the last year and a half. And separately, independently of each other, I got to hear them say what I consider the most beautiful words the most meaningful words that any father who does what we do and tries to educate kids about money could hear. And no, they are not, I love you, dad, because look at how much money you set me up with and what you did. No, no, no. They are, dad, I'm maxing out my 401k. (laughs) You look at that and you go, did my job. Thank you very much. Yeah, sure did. (laughs) That's great. If you would tell our listeners where they could uh, maybe look up some of your past uh, Halloween, the structure which you used to uh, set up your Halloween Wall Street (laughs) experience? Well, the easiest way to find my work is to go to the website for my show. Okay, My show is Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. And it's an interview show. Yes, you get me in it. But it's really about, it's for folks who have graduated to where they want to hear market talk and financial talk every day. Right. And we cover a lot of different things. We do some basics. I would say you're not getting that you're like, if you're coming for us for the basics, you're going to have a lot of things you want to skip through. If you're uh-huh. coming for us for the advanced stuff, you're going to have some basics and other stuff thrown in at you that are good refreshers. I see. But the show is Money Life with Chuck Jaffe. You can find it on your favorite podcast app. But if you go to moneylifeshow.com, mm-hmm. you will find not only my show, but there's a thing there that says Chuck's Columns. Click on the columns, use the search function and click Halloween. And you will find several years of Halloween columns all there. And each year I do one that sets it up. And then I kind of do one that says, what were the results? Right. 
That's awesome, Chuck. You know what I like most about really both your examples, what you do with kids and your intent with your grandkids and the Halloween thing, kind of a common tie is a real draw for me, is that all of those things, they encourage conversation. That's the thing that, you know, uh, I also am a father of grown kids. That's the one thing, you know, if I'm feeling a little melancholy one day (laughs) after all the kids being gone, I miss the conversation, anything that I can find, even today as adults, that that'll that'll give us an entryway into having a meaningful conversation. I'm just all over that. And, and that's what I like about your stories about young kids and money. Well, and remember, if you're not having the conversations, your kids will get what they get from your actions. And they may your actions could be good. But remember that your children see money coming out of machines. Right. They don't see money going into machines. Unless you take them with you to the bank and you're depositing a paycheck, which many of us don't do anymore. It's all direct deposited or whatever. They see you go to a machine and there's always cash available. Right. They don't see what it takes to get the money in there. And if you do nothing, the lessons they will learn typically are bad. Yeah. It's, it, we just have to remember. Almost everybody has a bad money story. I'm not immune to that. Mm-hmm. I had to learn good habits too. Mm-hmm. And even though I, I gravitated towards them, it doesn't mean that I, you know, whatever. We all have our own personal risk tolerances and everything else. But if you don't have the conversations, you should not assume that the kids are not having them or not learning. You should just assume that they're not getting them from you. And so we need to model good behavior. Your kids should see you pay the bills. Your kids should hear you talk about the bills. Yeah. Your kids should have an understanding of, you know, this is what it takes. It it was interesting when my youngest, who is Dr. Jaffe, you know, got this great job and goes off and does this. She at some point calls me up. She goes, you know, this is hard, like paying all the bills and doing all the rest of it. She goes, I'm making a good salary. I'm like, yeah, you're making a better salary than I am at this point. And I said, "And, and your rent on your little apartment is not my mortgage. Right. Right. You know, yeah, don't take a day off if you can't afford to take the day off because you got bills to pay. I mean, mm-hmm. those are lessons that need to be taught, and we don't do enough of it in this country. I don't believe that many financial literacy efforts work only because you're not getting them when you need them. Right. And the problem becomes you can get into a lot of trouble before you figure it out, and you can spend years having to get yourself out of that trouble. And that's what we want to solve for. Chuck, thanks so much for imparting your observations and your truth that you chronicle so well as a journalist. It's so important. We need more journalists that uh, realize that that's their job. (laughs) And it's not their job to be an expert in everything. It's their job to reflect truth and, and wisdom. And you do a good job of that, Chuck. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Thank you for having me, Tony. Stay thirsty. Will do, will do. And strategists, until next time, keep on strategizing. Strategizing.